Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. This is coming to you a day early this week because everything is coming to you early this week. Uh, it's already t- it's Tuesday and I'm already thinking about like, the fact that I fly tomorrow. You're in like the, I think you're in a spot now where you fly in like less than 24 hours. Yep, tomorrow morning. Uh, everything is rushed. Everything is rushed. The Colts play on Thursday. This is a, well, uh, this is just an aside real quick. We can come back to this, but this this is a rough road game. The, the NFL does not, we, <laughs> We talk, we've talked a lot in the past, maybe not, Nate hasn't been here as long, but about how the NFL doesn't like to give the Colts help with the schedule, but that in, in Frank Reich's five years as head coach, they've been on the road for Thursday Night Football four times. And it's I, I think not being, a short trip either. I think being on the road is, is a significant issue on Thursday because you, the whole thing with Thursday is there's no time to recover, and then you take part of it by putting them on a plane. Um, and so it, being on the road is, is really tough. They're 2-2 two and two on Thursday night games. One of those wins was at home. They've generally played well in Thursday night games, but, yeah, Denver's tough. I it mean, is. it's – got to have the altitude. It's You have the altitude. It's, yeah. it's significant. Um, so that's what's coming up on Thursday. Uh, but just to get, get back to where we've been with this podcast, did you bring a mascot? I did. It's going to take that's a little two, bit of time. That's to two get, weeks in a row. To get set up. Two weeks in a row. We have a shout out to Clark who helped. More, uh, more helped importantly, though, do you have choreography like like you did with the Redwoods? Because that was. Oh, we'll, we'll see how this lives <laughs> up to it. I, I know. I got to keep talk talking. I, yeah, I got to keep talk. talking. It takes a little bit of setup for this one. You got, a little bit more than little trees this time. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, I, you know what? I can, do, I can do my mascot while he gets it set up. Um, Mine are my hiking shoes. Uh, we're going to Denver. This is the opposite of when I trashed Jacksonville before that trip. Denver is probably my favorite city in the NFL uh, because of the mountains. I mean, there's a lot of other things about Denver. I, I interned out there when I was a kid, or when I was a kid in college, and uh, spent a couple months out there. And um, I kind of like that the city is so far from everything that. Uh, you have everything available that you'd want. Like every concert comes there. You have every every professional sporting team. And then on top of that, you have the mountains, which the Rocky Mountains to me are the best thing there. Um, so I'm planning to hike before the game on Thursday and don't really care about how tired I get beforehand because we don't have mountains in Indiana. Uh, the other thing is in terms of uh, these are these are spe- these are the ones – this is probably not the right ones. There's probably uh, – uh, some hiking enthusiasts out there who would tell me these are the wrong ones. This is what I like to wear. They're the five-finger ones. I like to have a little bit of toe hold. They're hard on the bottom. Uh, so if I want to boulder a little bit, I can do that. Uh, and the the Colts connection is just simply that they're at the bottom of a very big hill. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's going to be hard to get up it. And they, they, they need to have their, their tools with them, and they don't have some of those tools. And we'll get, that to, get to that in a little bit. So that's, that's my mascot okay. is, is we're going to probably my favorite place in the country. And it's one of the only times that these come out. 
It is very emblematic, the uphill climb. And Frank Reich loves to use that metaphor. I know, he used the mountain thing. I think I'm going to get crap thing. for that. I think I'm going to get crap for that when the people listen to the podcast, but I'm fine with it. Well, we just got to play to the brand. And, and Frank Reich has a brand for you know, whether you love it or hate it. And uh, But it is fitting. I, oh, you know what the to, answer is to that question. Well, I, <laughs> I enjoy yeah. it sometimes, but... I'm going to hike too. I'm going to, I'm actually staying in Denver. I've never been to Colorado and I'm flying out tomorrow morning. I'm not hiking the day of the game because I'm not a psycho, but <laughs> I'm crazy enough to hike the whole weekend though. I'm going Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Um, just, this is like the mini buy for us and for players too. It's players are going to like it. Coaches, well, they won't like it as much if they lose, but they, they will like a few days off, especially with the late buy in the season. So I like that one. I got to get myself some better hiking shoes. But, in Colorado, uh, you hike literally every day. It doesn't matter what you have to have going on that day. It's the other th- one of the other things I like about it. One of the things I'm most jealous about is that there are people who live on the Front Range who wake up, do like a 45 minute hike that gets like 800 feet of elevation. And you get to sit there, you go up to the top, you look over, watch the sunrise over Denver, and then they just go back down. That's just that's their morning workout. That's not fair. Yeah. No, that's. That's a great point. It's uh, we don't get to do that as much here, but um, so it'll be nice. Yeah, there's uh, no mountains here for me to climb. There's not. So mine's a little bit different here. Is that dirt? This is dirt, <laughs> and I'm uh, gonna spread it here on this little piece of plastic so we don't get too messy. But pretty much, it's it's not too dissimilar to the general idea you laid out here, where they've they got a hole to dig out of here. Uh, the Colts do, but specifically, I'm looking at the. Uh, the offensive line is kind of what I'm going to make a lot of this podcast about because as I go through this team and I'm trying to figure out what we missed, what we're so wrong on, why this doesn't feel right, I think everything comes back to the offensive line. It's not that they're the only ones struggling, but I really think if they go from as bad as they've been to as good as I think they can be and that the team thinks they can be, a lot of this gets fixed. So This, this, looks, like, this looks like, and I'm, I am not a green thumb at all, but this looks like gardening dirt. Like it is gardening dirt. Are you going to plant something on um, the podcast? We only have forty-five minutes. I don't know if anything can grow. Sand that might be more fun. Like I thought about doing sand because that's basically what Jonathan Taylor has to run through at the moment. But instead, it's like there's just so much dirt out there. There's so much. Like if you talk to this offensive line right now, uh, they are they're kind of beating themselves up, and you know, and you could say they they should, but also I think. Sometimes I, I think they're in their own head a little bit. That's why the struggles have deepened as much as they have. So they got to just get through here. And the thing I keep thinking about, I wrote about it after the game, and Frank Reich brought it up uh, yesterday, is that they are missing their little friend who helped the offensive line so much, which was Jack Doyle. And what he would do is he would drag across the formation, pretty much they'd do a run call, and if it was, if it was sort of between the tackles, he would, he would kind of cut across the formation and dig out these linebackers. And it was – it was like not only was he so good at it, but he was so consistent. He could ad lib throughout a game if the linebackers were moving and wherever they were blitzing from. He just seemed to pick it up. Jonathan Taylor had a feel for it, a trust for it, and so they got to they got to start scooping some of these guys out here. So that's like kind of the dirt that's in their way. This is like a linebacker in the hole right here. This is like Josie Jewell come through this week. They got to like get it out of the way so that Jonathan Taylor can run because when Jonathan Taylor can actually run, when he feels confident in the blocking he's got, I mean this is like. This is the best dude. This is the Colt right here, and he's stuck in the dirt. And we got to get him out of here, man. Like, or else they're going to just bury him. Like, if they don't get this figured out, he's got an ankle injury. He's getting stuck in trenches. He's uh, he's getting stuck under piles. He's fumbling. Like, this is where Jonathan Taylor is just, at the moment. He just tilted over. That's the ankle, or the yeah. toe, one of the two. 
you know, it's hard to hold on to the ball when you got that much dirt on you too. So that's kind of where he's at. Um, the thing I appreciate most about this is that you skipped the first couple of weeks, and then it was because you were working on your choreography for your mascot for the rest of the time. Yeah, you know, it's like it, it was like preseason. It's, it's next level. Yeah, it it's like gone next level. You you like watch what I did, and you're like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put a number to this. Like we're gonna have to do some extra to this. Um, oh yeah. I gotta try and live up to it every week. So uh, hopefully <laughs> you this have team set the bar kind of high. <laughs> hopefully this team like keeps giving me new storylines. I don't want to do this, you know, bearing. I don't want to bury Jonathan Taylor in dirt every week. Like that's kind of sad, and that's kind of where I'm at with uh, with team right now. Is that they've got? I, I've covered three teams now, and Jonathan Taylor is the best football player I've ever seen live on a team I cover. It was Darius Slay. It's now Jonathan Taylor. The problem is it doesn't look that way right now because he's buried. This is like there's just that little head poking through. And I see Jonathan Taylor when he comes out and he talks to us and he's got that bright smile and he's got that that, that bright personality. And you know it's still in there. And you just think if they can just if they can just get him clean, if they can just open it up, we could see this guy come out of the dirt and run wild like he's run. And I just think even one big game from Jonathan Taylor, one game where he feels confident in the blocking, he gets free, he can set up a move, he can cut outside, and he can run out in the open field. Um, you know, he's he's the engine of their offense when it's running well. He's he's their horsepower. And so they've got to get back to that point because without that, this team doesn't have an identity. They don't have something to lean on when it's tough. They don't have a way to keep it from going down 24-3 early in the game it's all about getting Jonathan Taylor free and letting them roam and uh this needs to be the week that it starts um yeah the, the running game it kind of goes to where kind of where I wanted to take this podcast I think the most concerning thing to me right now and, and the reason that it feels I I I am not as read into things or read into what people say as as some other as a lot of other reporters are um but the thing that I think that makes this feel different to me is that the Colts offense isn't even doing the stuff well that we're used to them doing well under, under Reich. Um, pass protection has traditionally been one of their strengths. Uh, turn, protecting the ball has been one of their strengths. The running game has been one of their strengths. They're struggling in all of those right now. And, and then turnovers would be the other one I'd add yeah. on defense. Um, on defense, yeah, but I, I'm kind of sticking with the offense right now because right. it seems like they've been – They've been the worst. Uh, the defense, I thought, got off a little easy for Sunday, but they, they did come back in, this, in the second half and play pretty well, and they have limited yards for the most part uh, this season. Um, Wait, this little baby horse, I'm going to say that's Alec Pierce. <laughs> he's a little rookie, and he's starting to show some signs, and if they can get him a little bit more clean, if they make everything more clean, he can kind of roam, and he and Jonathan Taylor can be like – Why is he yellow? I don't know. This is the it's options a little too we yellow. had here. It's a little too yellow for um, a, a horse. I don't know. He's been out in the sun too much. Not I don't think sure. that's what happens to horses when they when they stay out in the sun too He's much. He's a golden horse here. Like this, <laughs> Alec Pierce has been a golden horse the past couple weeks. He looks um, awesome. They just got to make it matter more. They got to get back to where he is a complimentary piece of the big time horse, which is, which is Jonathan Taylor. So we'll just put him there. Yeah. I, anyway, that, I think that's the thing that's most concerning to me, and I, I, I think the root cause of that is if it's it's what everyone we've been talking about for a long time. What you said you wanted to talk about on this on this pod, but um, I don't think that after four years of establishing those things as trends, that something disconnected in terms of a planning game planning or pre- preparation 
type of thing. I don't think that's the most logical answer to that, that they suddenly forgot, that Reich suddenly forgot how to do these things that he's done literally with every other quarterback, with every other offense uh, that he's had. I think the more likely explanation is what everyone kind of sees, that the obvious thing is the offensive line. Um, and Reich came as close as we've ever heard him to admitting uh, personnel deficiencies yesterday when he was talking about the run game, when he said they – he wasn't just talking about Doyle, but he also said there's other two other guys that we replaced on that on that offensive line uh, in relation to why the running game's not going. They, had, they, they, they don't know what to do at right guard. They tried Will Fry's, not a whole lot of success in the run game. Um, left tackle, Matt Pryor has been very inconsistent. Uh, and ultimately, I think that's the biggest thing, is that this, this team is – been able to figure out its offensive line really before this season from from the the seventh game sixth or seventh game of the 2018 season when Anthony Costanzo came back from an injury until um, the end of the 2020 season but but to some degree last year too I mean this is still a very good run game last year Taylor had a lot of room to run even against stack boxes um, they they had that. They had that baseline. That was supposed to be the baseline that they were playing with. It's supposed to be the baseline that Reich is working with. The decisions that they made there to elevate guys who were backups and not bring in other competition, we've, we've all talked about it ad nauseum. It, it keeps coming up, but it, it's the story of the season right now. That unit is not what it's supposed to be, and I think that's why you see some of these hallmarks of the offense failing uh, in the ways that they are. And Honestly, I actually think that there's there's a world here where some of the stuff we've seen out of the passing game would signal that they could be successful with a shift to more of a passing attack early. But the problem is the turnovers are outweighing that. Matt Ryan's turnovers are outweighing that. And, I mean, that's tied to the offensive line as well. Uh, the fumbles specifically are tied to the offensive line as well and not being able to protect. But... At some point, the experienced quarterback has to just protect the football. I know he's been hit a ton, but at some point, it just, it's just built up so much. He's got to protect the football. And to me, it's, it's, it's the point now where the individual explanations for each turnover don't matter as much as the overall number. Because it's, it's eight through four games. I, I, wrote about this the, I wrote about this the other day. Um, they, he's, he's way ahead of any pace that any quarterback has had under Reich. Very different playing styles, very different turnover histories for all of those quarterbacks. With almost all of them, turnovers came down with Reich. With Ryan, they're up. He's on a pace that he's he's on a pace that no one should be on, frankly. I mean, he's on pace for 34 turnovers in 17 games. Um, now, you would expect some regression, some some regression to the mean, uh, just given history. But we just haven't seen it yet. We keep seeing these mistakes. We keep seeing the the turnovers happen, and. Again, this is this is another thing where like, sort of me taking things face level, like until we see it, it's hard to imagine it going differently. Yeah, it's it's uncharacteristic for a Frank Reich offense to have those turnovers from the quarterback. It's also uncharacteristic for Matt Ryan, who's done this for 15 years and he's never fumbled more than 11 times, and he's been hit before. I mean, he was the most sacked quarterback. Uh, back yeah, sack more than forty times in each of the last four seasons. But the thing that is the the one number that is like so monstrous. There are two numbers for Matt Ryan that are c- complete career outliers at this point. It's the turnovers and it's the yards he's taking on sacks. So it's not just the sacks; it's how deep and destructive they are. And I just think if you take 
Matt Ryan's track record and you take Frank Reich's track record with offense and you say, why, why are these two things completely not working? There's two reasons to me. One is the logical uh, fact that they're new. They're working together. There's going to be some growing pains. That explains a little bit of it. The bigger thing to me, though, is still the offensive line. It doesn't excuse Matt Ryan's ball security. He's got to learn to hold on to the ball better when he's getting hit. He, some of the miscommunications, he had three picks in the Jaguars game. Those were three of his five. And then he had one that I don't really blame him for last week when it got tipped at the line, and then one other. So he had one really terrible game for picks. It's mostly been fumbles, though. And again, he's, there's been one quarterback hit more than Matt Ryan this season. It's Carson Wentz uh, with Commanders, which is kind of ironic. But that was never, never the plan for a 37-year-old quarterback, never the plan with an offensive line paid more than anyone in football. And I've been tough on the O-line, but the more that I look at this and I think, what, what is going wrong here? And it's, there is something, there's just something disconnected between the, specifically the six guys who are trusted with blocking the most, which would be five offensive linemen and then uh, then a tight end. And last year, that tight end was Jack Doyle. And Frank Reich brought that up. That's a huge loss. But that alone, that and I think even new starters at left tackle and right guard shouldn't explain this because, well, Matt Pryor's not perfect. Neither was Eric Fisher. And they run blocked really, really well last year. They had more 500 more rushing yards for Jonathan Taylor almost than any other back in football. Uh, Mark Lewinsky and, and Chad Reed did a, a very nice job at right guard. But that that alone, the drop-off from these these solid, decent starters at right guard at an insulated position between the center and the right tackle that you trust so much shouldn't be leading to all of this. And so there are certainly one-on-one, uh, some physical deficiencies we've seen. They made the change at right guard with Danny Pinter to Will Fries to, to kind of combat that. I still think a lot of this goes back to sort of mental and, and – connection issues is that they a lot of it was the free rushers and the in the blitzes they were facing they didn't seem to to know they were coming and then in the run game what Frank Reich talked a lot about what I got out of his answer was that they are not teaching it the way they need to teach it to get new starters comfortable with uh with starters that they trust and what's happening is the starters they trust are sort of on you know overcompensating or not trusting the new guys either and no one's playing at their best and if they're not playing at their best in the run game they can't play at their best in the pass game because that's when all of a sudden there is some carryover between the confidence you play with the energy the feel from establishing you know a dominance uh in in run blocking and carrying that over to confidence and in feel for the guys around you in pass blocking and so there's a fix here and I think Frank Reich I think he, he's a confident, positive guy. He seems to think he he came off to me like he knows what the issue is, the central issue is, and he's got to go back sort of in the weeds of how they develop a game plan, how they're teaching and developing this throughout a week. And the thing is, to get you in the weeds of how offensive game planning goes, there's often just a separate mode for um, the offensive play caller, the coordinator, that's more of like the passing game specialist, which is Reich, and what the offensive line is doing because the offensive line coach – they design the run game. They design the run scheme. The blocking scheme is built by the offensive line coach, and then the the uh, the offensive coordinator is calling plays. You know, with that the idea of that being built up, it's not working. They have to go back to what's not working. And I just look at an offensive line that has had five guys out there consistently since the spring. None of them that we know of are really dealing with injuries. Bernard Raymond did, but he's a backup. They're not teaching this the right way, and I'm and I'm just going to put it back on on Chris Strasser and Kevin Mawai to get it done because since they've taken over this offensive line, you know the Reich's first year with Dave, uh, how do we pronounce his name, DeGuglielmo. 
DeGuglielmo. Yeah. Um, that was the year that they had the fewest sacks in the NFL. Played really, really well. And they've had good offensive lines, but they're, they're just not trending in the right direction. Last year was a step back. Late in the season was a big step back. And this year was a monster step back. And I'm just saying, I've seen this exact thing play out in Detroit where they had a super talented offensive line. They dumped money on guys like Rick Wagner and TJ Lang. They had uh, Graham Glasgow. They had first-round picks. They ended up having to trade a lot of those guys and see them leave. And they all thrived elsewhere. And when it's a situation like all these guys are underperforming and we know they can be better and we know they're not healthy, I just think that there's got to be a common denominator. It's something in the way they're teaching and developing and cultivating this group that's not working. And when I talk to these guys, the the, the confidence is not there right now in that group at all. And that's what they got to fix. I don't think DeGuglielmo was the fix because of his career record. I don't think he's the fix. He's, he's, he, there's a, well, I'm, I'm speaking to – there's been a lot of talk about whether or not that was the, the right move to make and whether or not keeping him around. He's He is a – he does not have a good reputation around the league. Right. As, uh, he's he's most he's mostly been in places for one year. He's in college right now because his the two places he went after Indianapolis, uh, he flamed out of again. Um, I think, I think that, I think that too much of the 2018 offensive line success has been credited to the offensive to to to, to Guglielmo, and less to the fact of getting the right personnel together. Uh, just because, I, like I said, I, this is a talking point, so I'm just giving my take on it based on what I've heard from around the league, more towards what people listening than than anything here. But like, I I don't know that like he doesn't have a history as a good offensive line coach. This isn't like you know Mike Munchak or somebody you know who's known as a guy that you get and you keep and you try to keep around as much as you can. This is a guy that no one wants to keep around. Um, now, as far as Strasser and the development goes. I think there's probably something to that. I think that I might be more. I think I. I think I think I would right now fall more on that the personnel issues are, are a bigger problem than because Danny Pinter should know what they're doing. He was a center for two years. Like that's that's the well, but that's the that's the like that's the position that has to think the most on the offensive line. Like he should know. Without being told, he should he should know where the where the protections are headed and that kind of thing. Like mentally, he should have been ready to do that. Uh, and left tackle, I agree. Fisher wasn't good in pass protection last year. Better and much better in run blocking. Um, but I think that if you make to me, it just it to me it just seems like uh, they were pretty good on the offensive line in 2019 and 2020 as well. Um, those are the years they had Anthony Costanzo. You know, they were second in the league in sacks allowed in 2020 with Rivers. Um, part of that is Rivers getting the ball out as quickly as he did, which is something, another thing that I'm kind of frustrated with with Matt Ryan. Um, or maybe that I didn't expect. I don't know how to phrase that. Uh, but I do think that the personnel gambles that they've taken without trying to add anybody who's a veteran who you could put in as a more reasonable ex- – like Will Fries being put in there last week, well – you know, I guess it, it kind of depends on Matt Ryan felt like the protection was better. So I think the pass protection was probably better. Run blocking wasn't great. Um, but that's a guy who only played 22 snaps in an NFL game before last year, before last week. Like, they, they didn't add veteran players to compete with these guys. Not not really. And I, I just don't th- – I think that that's – it's egregious. It's egregious to not add veteran players – 
even if they're low money guys. I mean, they've had so much success with low money interior offensive linemen here. I don't understand why you didn't. Okay, you didn't re-sign Chris Reed. Go find the next Chris Reed. And it wasn't Jason Spriggs. <laughs> Jason Spriggs has a terrible track record in the NFL. Reed had more of a an uneven track record. He'd been better in spots. There was something more, maybe more to work with there. But if you're going to add Spriggs, add somebody else. Give them some veteran experience to work with. Do something. Do instead of signing Pryor for five million, turn an extra couple million and get somebody better than Pryor or someone who's played left tackle before. Um, I know he played well last year, but but like, I think the personnel gambles that they took without veteran experienced competition is significant. I'm not not saying that Strasser and Mawai don't have something to do with this, but they needed to do more than they did. Ballard needed to do more than he did. He, I think Ballard could have made better, more calculated decisions in some ways. We've brought up Charles Leno last year should have been the choice, and they went with Eric Fisher, and it doesn't look great. I'm still going to push back. I don't think the solution was spending more money. They've spent more money on this offensive line than any team in the NFL. And that's what I'm – so I go back to, yes, while we can question we have – you know, the choices of Danny Pinter and Matt Pryor. The fact of the matter is they've got three. Those guys are not big money guys. Danny Pinter's on a rookie deal, and, and Matt Pryor was a Band-Aid. And that we're saying that's the problem is a Band-Aid. But the other three guys are supposed to be stars, and they've been really good players. Quentin Nelson may be the best lineman in football. Uh, Ryan Kelly's been a pro bowler, and, and Braden Smith, I think, has at times looked close to that. They clearly believe in it. The front office clearly believes in it. They've had high, high moments and and what I go back to 2018 is not to not to say they shouldn't have moved on from the offensive line coach it's just they didn't mess it up back then and I think they're messing it up right now and I think a lot of it honestly is I I think they're kind of overthinking some things this 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 is a lot of negative energy from this offensive line right now and it feels very much like the Lions one did in Detroit where all those guys once they moved on from that staff all kind of had a positive reinforcement moment, and all of them took off. I mean, like, all of them became pro bowlers pretty much. And they can't get anyone to play like that right now. And I just think that is the most connected unit, where what one guy does affects the other guy. It, it is in that, And I put a ton on coaching on that unit. And I think if you look at some of the best teams, some of the worst teams in the NFL, it's coaching. I'll give you an example. The other team that has built so much like this Colts offensive line, from standing to – from the spending to – the positions they're they're building up are the Browns. They have Bill Callahan as their offensive line coach, and that's been a top five rushing team and a, a team that's top five in sack rate. This Colts offensive line right now is bottom five in pass block uh, win rate. They're bottom five in uh, adjusted line yards, which is what they open up in the run game. Pretty much every metric you look at, they're in the bottom five. And so if there are if they overrated Danny Pinter and Matt Pryor, which which seems like they did, I can understand them not being in line with their spending, which is number one. I can understand them not being number one. They're probably they're not as good as we probably thought that they were going to be. This should be a top ten offensive line. At the very least it should be an average offensive line. When it's healthy, when it's together, the fact that it's not, it's either it's either we totally overrated all those players and Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson were just never as good and they mer- they they confused us for a few years. Or what I think is more likely is that there's one common denominator that's the problem right now. It's the way they're coaching, developing, and honestly cultivating this group. And I'm just some of the quotes I'm getting out of the offensive line. They they're not they're not pointing fingers, but it feels like that Detroit offensive line of they're so in their heads, they're so expecting to fail out there, they're f- afraid of failing, 
Matt Pryor uh, recently told me that he's trying to build on the positives so he doesn't drown in the negatives. Bernard Raymond recently said he knows that any mistake he makes in a game, he's going to go over a thousand times in the film room and be kind of raked over the coals for. Like, this is just, they like, these guys need to, these guys need to go, like, play some laser tag or something. Like, this needs to get more, a little bit more uplifting here is that they, the way they talk right now is like they, they expect to go out there and struggle again. And that is just not the way to turn this around. And I just, this is what happens with losing and with struggle and with expectation is that you get more in your own head and the struggles deepen, the more that, that doubt creeps in and the more that you try and fix it by yelling and being mad at each other. So they've got to, they've got to flip a switch. They need some positive reinforcement. It feels exactly like that Detroit line did. And you know what happened there is once they cleared out that coaching staff and they moved on and Dan Campbell's guys right now have maybe the best one of the best offensive lines in football, probably the happiest and most together offensive line in football. It makes a world of a difference, and that's the switch I think they need. Yeah, it's probably some of both. That's the hard thing with this Colts team right now is that no matter what you end up talking about, if you zero in on any one thing, you end up not giving enough credit to the other thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's It's the hard part with our stories. I think every week, whatever we write off of the game, Someone says, like, don't I don't know why you would put so much uh, blame on this person and and, uh, not, and ignore these other things. Well, what's usually going on there is that you, me, and Greg are writing on every game, and we split that up. We split that stuff up so that, like, if you're looking at the Stars coverage, if you're going to the Stars website, it's you're going to get the full thing. But we have the ability to break stuff down and just focus on one thing. You know, mm-hmm. the the problem is like like I said with this team everything affects something else right and so like with jonathan taylor he missed some holes i think it it looked more like his the first couple weeks of his rookie season when he wasn't sure now what you wrote i think is right because what he said about his rookie year when he was struggling was that he wasn't used to seeing stuff that way he was you know he he hadn't he hadn't run out of the shotgun it's very different running out of the shotgun he wasn't used to seeing the way the holes close all that stuff opens up and he looks like that again because he doesn't see stuff opening the way it's supposed to. And so he's, he's uncertain. But he is missing holes, you know. So he, or he, did, a, he did on Sunday, I felt like. And, and so it, it all compounds on, on top of it. Now, trying to assign percentage points to, you know, what's worse or than anything else is tough. And like I said, the moment you start talking about one thing that's gone wrong with this team in depth, then – inevitably you're ignoring something that uh something else that's going on and honestly it's, it's probably one of the hardest things about covering this team right now is trying to write anything that's illuminating that's trying to write anything that's illuminating without just writing it's all bad because it is all bad right now and normally what you do is you take whatever the overarching story is and you try to break it down but most people don't want to hear that right now. Most people you want, most people just want to hear like it's all bad, but it's, that's not a story you can write every day. Yeah, there's no question about it. And there's like, the, the thing is there's two ways the conversation could go. If we're citing blame, then there's a lot of areas we can go to. And Jonathan Taylor is, is an example of that. As I agree, he did, you know, he fumbled, which he rarely does, but he, he did. And it was a tough moment to fumble. I think it was injury related, but nonetheless it happened. And then, yeah, he's, he's not picking up. He's not setting up runs the way he did. He's not seeing outside creases. But I – so one conversation is about blame. I think the other conversation, the one that Reich's having, is about solutions and what, what would actually solve some of this. 
And I think that offensive line, if they block the way they did last year, we're going to see Jonathan Taylor be exactly what he was before. I don't, I don't see what – like we talked about, like Frank Reich didn't forget how to do certain things over the years. For, I don't think Jonathan Taylor's forgotten how to do anything. And we'll see how his ankle is now. But up until that moment with the ankle, there was no sort of health – I guess he did have a little bit of a toe issue, but this season he has not run the way that, that anything close like he did last year. And so I still think the fix for him and for Matt Ryan and for everything is the offensive line. And I, th- that's why I think there's a, there's a real chance this turns around in a pretty shocking way. I'm not saying it will. If they don't find this fix, it won't. Right now I think they're going to sink or swim with this offensive line at this point because I don't see – you know, I don't see Matt Ryan thriving at 37 years old with this pass protection issue and, and his lack of trust. I don't see them being great if Jonathan Taylor can't get going. Um, and then it spills over into defense where I don't see them forcing turnovers the way they did last year if they're never playing with a lead and they can never, um, you know, they can never kind of have moments, situational football where they can force a team to throw. Um, but the fix is on the offensive line. If they're able to find it, and, and I trust Frank Reich, to diagnose it at least and to, to do his best effort. He's, this is how they get out of all these holes. Like they start poorly in the season and there's something um, really dragging them down and, and Frank Wright goes and addresses it. And I wasn't here for a lot of those, but I would have to I would have to guess last year when they started 0-3, it sounded like a lot of that was tied to the passing game and Carson Wentz. Personnel. Personnel at right tackle. And some personnel, but they got through it. I mean, they, they made well, they it switched, Well, they switched the right tackle. Right. <laughs> Right, they switched the right tackle, and then Carson, you know, his ankles got better. He got more comfortable, and and he really was on a hot stretch there. And then they unleashed Jonathan Taylor, and it all came together. And you know, and then it didn't work out at the end of the season. But I, Frank Reich, has such a track record for fixing issues, diagnosing them. I feel very confident he will find out what the issue is on this offensive line. Does he actually take it to the level he needs to to fix it? We'll see. He's done it in the past, but this one, if it is a, if it's what I, I wonder if it is. If it, if it wouldn't. Inc- require a coaching change I think a mid-season coaching change would be something new for him I'm guessing so it's going to test some things uh, it's not just as simple as repeat what you've done to climb out of the past holes but I still think the track record's there and I think the upside is so big if they can fix this offensive line to get uh, Matt Ryan comfortable to get their defense playing with leads and then to get Jonathan Taylor out in the open field where we're talking about the difference right now in them figuring it out is a one yard gain or a 60 yard gain that's the Jonathan Taylor effect they've got to bring it back out if they can bring him back out of the dirt and get him running wild again I honestly think this could be a really good football team the same way we thought coming into the year yeah the um be be nice tonight, podcast listeners. <laughs> I I the hard uh, one of the other hard things is like normally when a team is struggling, you do write about solutions. But no, I just you know trying to go a little inside baseball with the, what we're thinking. It's it's hard to write about solutions because no one wants to hear it. Like I think I think the most common refrain for most people is just it's over. You know, there's no point. Um, the, the team can't operate that way. They have to play a lot more games. Mm-hmm. They have to find solutions. Um, you can't. You can't play games like that. You just can't. And uh, and it does make it hard. It does make it hard because the moment you start talking or writing about solutions, uh, I just no one wants to hear it. That's the best way to put it. Mm. There's there's other ways I could put it that are that are harsher, but that no one wants to hear it right now. But you're right. If they get the offensive line playing better, 
you know, there's there's been signs in the passing game. You, you're getting something from Alec Pierce. You're getting something from Jelani Woods. What happened with the tight ends last week? They had 11 catches on 11 targets. You know, maybe there's something they can build on with with some of this uh, wide receiver core. You know, uh, and tight end core. We the you assume that if they get the running game going and get some more first down or get get more yardage on first and second down, then Matt Ryan isn't in third and long, doesn't have to take a five to seven step drop, and he's got a better chance at getting the ball out, and he gets hit less. Um, there's there's a path that's out. It's just the hard part right now is nobody wants to hear that at all. Yeah. Um, well, the other hard part about solutions is that it's it's harder for us. It's easier to diagnose the problems and harder to find solutions. That's true for coaches. That's true for us because I want to be careful with this. I I can figure. I I think the problem is like I've said the way that this offensive line is operating, coaching, teaching, developing, all that. I can't necessarily always like pin it on one person. Like we're not there in the meeting rooms. We're not oh, there you just in the did, practice. <laughs> you kind of just did. I put it on two people to fix it, but I don't know if the problem, I don't know if it's as simple as fire a coach and it gets better, but the problem is that like something is not working there. And I, I, so that's what's tough about this. It's, yes, it's. <laughs> I don't want to call for somebody's job, but I kind of am. Because you did. Yeah, you did. I'll say this. Those two coaches, they have to do it differently. They have to completely revamp how this is going. If they continue to do it this way, where they just try out the same five guys out there, scream at them every week, try and fire them up, talk about you know trying to not drown in the negatives, and, um, and, and I, that, it's not working. It's just not working. So something has got to change there. Um, that's... That's kind of where I'm at with it. And, I, and, and when I look at, like, the, we've talked all about the offense. I, I mentioned, like, when you talk about the defense, we were, you know, we were critical of them on, on Sunday for creating the hole for not, you know, not making a tough turnover. Basically, not, basically the thing that the defense hasn't done well so far is they have not reacted to big moments well. So mm-hmm. when a turnover happens, when they're given a short field, um, like they they haven't the situationally they have not played well overall their numbers look better than like it's it's sort of a mirage thing like with with Matt Ryan's 356 passing yards like there is good in there but in terms of winning the game the situational defense hasn't been there yet yeah and outside think, of Kansas City and i think s- there's a couple things for that number one i think and this this is just reality is that they're getting a lot of scores they're giving up are on sudden change moments like a fumble you know a moment like that they've got to be tighter in those moments but at the same time that does take a toll on the defense and that's where like if they cut down on the fumbles that helps a little bit too is they're not kind of rushed out there before they want to be and they're not you know they're given a short field where yes i i like we said on sunday they've got to they've got to force some field goals don't just give up a touchdown at the same time if if they're taking over at the opponent's 20, they can make one mistake that gets them to the 50 and maybe correct then. They're getting put in some tough situations. The thing I think about is, I, correct me if I'm wrong, have they had, they've had one second-half lead this season, right, against Kansas City on, for one final drive? Correct. And they, they picked off Patrick Mahomes. They've outscored, they've outscored teams 24 to nothing in the fourth quarter, the Colts have. Yeah, but the one game – Texans had sent it to overtime. They came back on the Chiefs and scored very late, and the Chiefs got one drive, and then they threw a pick. They need to be in more situations like that. They've got to force throws. The thing I keep thinking about with the Titans is that 
that that team does not beat themselves. That's why Mike Vrabel, he keeps figuring this out, even though I don't always think his offense is that great, is that like when they can get a lead like 24 to three, they will not, they will not ruin it with turnovers. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but like they, in Ryan Tannehill, I noticed that is that he, it was a lot of quick passes, easy passes. They got to defend those better, but when it wasn't open, he was just taking it, tucking it, getting the yards that were there and going down. They've got to get to a point where they are making you make the throw to convert third and 10 because you were trailing. And that's what they did against Patrick Mahomes. Stephon Gilmore reaches in, tips it up, and it, it just has an effect. The pass rushers, you know, they can pin their ears back. The defensive backs can key in on the quarterback knowing he's going to throw. They can build throughout a game. It's just not happening this way. They're not getting to the strengths of what I think this defense is, which is uh, the, the, the pass rush abilities of Yannick Ngakwe and DeForest Buckner, Pay, and then the, the cerebral nature of their defensive backs in in Stephon Gilmore and Kenny Moore those guys are not playing they're not in enough situations where they can jump on routes with throws you have to make that they know are coming they've got to get to more of that and I still think the fix is an offense that's not broken because right now the defense they're not carrying it they carried it for the Chiefs game they're not they're not winning the game on their own they also shouldn't be expected to be I think that defense would play a lot better if they could not be put in such bad situations Getting close to going out to the Colts facility for really the only big day of the week in terms of access and availability. It's just that's just the way Thursday weeks work. I mean, they have to fly to Denver tomorrow, just like the rest of us do. Um, but uh, for the Colts Cover Two podcast, I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. Nate now has to clean up a bunch of dirt. That's the other thing. A lot of time he's got to clean up dirt. Hey, no pain, no game. Uh, we'll be back after the Denver game. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.